Hi, Subterraneans listeners. As a little tester, I'm going to be running ads in this episode. Don't worry if you'd rather not hear them, though. They'll be clearly marked by the following sound in the episode. I'll keep them short and sweet. So if you could do me a favour and be sure to listen to them and let me know any feedback you might have, I'd really appreciate it. Okay, on with the show. I'm of the age where I grew up in chat rooms and on forums filled with people who were, or who at least pretended to be, much older than me. I want to describe these as wild and lawless times, a sort of darkened saloon bar in the seedy underbelly of online Deadwood, but it was much sadder and much more insidious than that. I made a lot of very dear friends in those spaces, but I'm also aware that a lot of my friends were badly hurt by them. And even those who weren't hurt directly, such as myself, grew up a little stunted and confused, disabused entirely too young of the fantasies of adulthood by middle-aged depressives venting to children about their imminent divorces. Things are different for the kids now. Seems like sometime around 2010, everything started to coalesce down to three or four main websites, with all the little corners uncorked and all the darkness swilling around in the open. Twitter has been called an open sewer, and given the variety of life forms and discursive mildews it's able to support in its confused, sprawling ecosystem, I think that's a more apt metaphor than they might realise. Regardless of my own nostalgia, was it really so much better when we all shit in separate buckets and threw them out onto the street? With the gradual breakdown of Twitter and the complete unusability of Facebook, maybe we're about to find out. There are websites on the outside of this circular family tree, though. Ones that you need a special invite to, that require deep and complex detours through the fringes of the protocol. And on one of them, through the loop of the telephonic noose, known as the back web, sits an exact copy of you, waiting. I'm James Thompson. This is Subterraneans. Accessing the back web feels wonderfully 1980s. Similar to how a VPN routes your traffic through a central server to protect your identity, or a Tor network bounces your connection around the world at random to prevent your activity from being easily traced or tracked, you have to follow a complex sequence of codes and routing procedures straight out of a hacker's manual to get in. It's not easy to learn, but there's a knack to it. I'm a 90s kid, so... I grew up experiencing the gradual shift of the internet from a universe of infinite curiosity, fiercely bounded by inaccessible 80s technology, to a consumer-friendly zone for weird kids through the family gateway PC. I feel a false nostalgia for those earlier times, back in the 80s, when using the internet really meant something. 
experienced by me most vividly when attempting to break the security on the Windows XP machines in my school IT lab or rig up a LAN party with parts a friend's dad had stolen from his job. If I'm honest, and I, I shouldn't be given the UK has no statute of limitations, theft was an important part of my childhood. The little group of weird kids I hung out with loved to steal shit, mostly from around our high school when we were younger. Equipment from science labs, tools from the workshop, buckets of paint, computer hardware, but occasionally from elsewhere too. We stole a lot of alcohol when we got a little older, opening backpacks and clearing shelves of vodka in Sainsbury's. It was so flagrant. Videos keep going around recently of things like this happening in San Francisco or whatever, usually trying to make some racist point, but all I can think is, like, change the accent and the setting and that was us 20 years ago. It's not that I defend it, it's that I don't care at all. Sorry, my moral compass isn't moved a millimetre by petty theft. None of it matters. And then, of course, there's digital piracy. It's funny that part of the reason I compose all the music for Subterraneans is that I'm worried about getting hit with a copyright strike, when my teen years were spent on private music and movie trackers, listening to and watching everything I could get my hands on. I was voracious in a way that I worry the post-streaming generation just can't be. The algorithm is designed to push that out of you, to paint you into a corner with the same stuff over and over, to feed you more of what you want and less of what you don't. It's only rare services that have the guts to act as tastemakers, to push people into stuff they might not like. And you really need that if you're an antisocial little freak like me. The risk of being a guy who follows nerd media rabbit holes all the way to cargo shorts hell is too high unless you've got someone rubbing dirt in your ears and telling you to watch Tarkovsky's Stalker when you're 14 and clearly too young to get it. You have to stay weird and angry to avoid contentment, or you'll get boring. I'm deadly afraid of getting boring. This episode of Subterraneans is brought to you by Mindtender. Mindtender is an innovative new service that offers online consultations with in-house therapists who have been trained specifically to help people who are struggling with their mental health. Their created online therapy experience will connect you directly with a machine learning based counsellor designed to help you when things are getting tough. MindTender learns from what you tell it and uses that information to diagnose problems and suggest strategies to help you cope when times get tough. If you sign up for MindTender using offer code SUBTOPOD, you'll get 20% off your first session with no subscription required on condition of information sharing. More on that later. Okay, back to the show. Flick showed me how to access the back web. In case you need a refresher, Flick was a music producer friend of mine, although they're mostly retired since he got heavily into queer mind control and murder a few years back, which I, I talked about in season 5. She's resurfaced recently, bloodstained but unbothered, sending me messages through the vibrations in the echoing pipes of my damp flat. I'm not joking, 
he somehow managed to rig up the ancient, leaky plumbing of my building to deliver messages to me when I turn on both taps simultaneously. A shaky, reverberating drone, interspersed with wet whispers when I leave it for long enough to really concentrate on the running water. This is the only way they'll communicate with me, even though I often see her in the distance when I'm walking alone at night. I run after him, but it's no use. She's always gone, or somebody else, when I turn the corner. The whispers told me to navigate to a website with a 273 character address, which can only be accessed using a browser downloaded between 12.01 and 12.07am from a front-end release site designed to look like a blog post about the Christian importance of large families. As I previously mentioned, you then have to bounce your identity through a variety of servers and identity-obscuring proxies to get to the back web. Shockingly, this is pretty much what modern data privacy has to look like. The simple truth is that we live in a post-cookies world, where the principles of safe browsing have completely gone out the window. Every YouTuber and podcaster has a sponsorship from a VPN service, but they won't tell you that VPNs are a placebo at best. You think the CIA doesn't know how to get around a VPN. Getting onto the back web has an extra level of security. Gatekeeping. Obscure opening hours and secret codes handed from person to person will always be more secure than encryption. You can't hack a guy telling you to sod off. I was only able to access it because of the trail of the dead behind Flick. But there's no need to relitigate that particular mess. It turns out, nobody's interested in the bodies left behind in the fog of the early 2020s. Once you're into the back web, there's really only one website you can use. A message board. This is where I was told by Flick that I'd be able to find an exact replica of myself. I found the alternate version of me quite quickly. He was in a screaming match with another poster about police abolition. That's not out of character in fairness, which is why he was so easy for me, specifically, to find. Relaxing my hindbrain, clicking only what was interesting to me, delving into and becoming the problem, mirroring the movements of the alternate self, quickly brought me to the right place. I needed that instinct though. The message board itself is gargantuan. There are almost 70 million regular posters on there. It is, in fact, a near-perfect simulacrum of every living person in Britain. It's called the Vampire Castle, and you're invited there to kill people. The name is, of course, a playful reference to the Mark Fisher essay, Exiting the Vampire Castle, a tragically spirited defence of Russell Brand against the forces of people calling him a misogynist online. 
Mark Fisher has obviously been a huge influence on my work, but for that one pretty notable misfire, which has become a rallying cry for people complaining that the online left is too mean or toxic for a decade since. Maybe the recent news about Brand will finally change that, but I doubt it. The name is also a sort of wry joke about the one major issue with the simulation. It's only able to simulate us at our worst and most toxic. The entire website is a sort of eternally evolving flame war, with everyone screaming at each other constantly, tearing down, taking apart. It's honestly a little upsetting to see the Mirror James really going at it, saying all the things that I feel too restrained or basically polite to say. Sure, I've let it rip a few times in comment sections or at van drivers who close past me when I'm out on my bike, but generally I try to stay fairly soft-spoken, polite, or at least convincingly calm when I get into arguments. The other James has no need for that. He jumps straight to death threats, the type of extreme revolutionary rhetoric that, yeah, sure, maybe I think about, but I'm careful to bury encoded language and politeness when I'm posting on the big bad CIA mind control device we call the internet. Sure, I spent a non-zero amount of time talking about how we should bury all rich people alive on this show, but like, none of that's actionable, you know? Whereas other James encountered a tiny amount of pushback against his stance in favour of police abolition, and immediately posted their home address and a photo of a gun. He's scary. And maybe sort of cool. Shit, I don't know. No one's entirely sure how the Vampire Castle got started, but we know who manages it now. The server is buried beneath a barn in Northumbria, at the nexus of seven ley lines that run in a heptogrammic spiral from seven sources of power across the British Isles. Although most of its actual power comes from a cowshit fermentation generator out the back, it's managed by an intensely paranoid former sysadmin who has, sources report, rigged the entire building to explode if he fails to press a fingerprint activated button once every five and a half hours. Needless to say, he doesn't sleep much. He's right to be paranoid. The providence of the 70 million members who make up the board is unclear. He received the survey in the post from his former owner after they were found beneath a railway viaduct with both their eyes torn out. But their resemblance to living humans is beyond uncanny. It's outright dangerous. 70 million people are posting every second on the site, sharing every furious thought. That many of those would be, at minimum, arrestable offences were the site to open, for both the users and the administrator. They're all baying for blood on there, and it's honestly sort of terrifying. Thankfully, they're contained, without corporeal form to make good on those threats. For now, at least. This episode is brought to you by MindTender. I've been using MindTender for six months now to help guide me through difficult times. Throughout that, it's been an incredibly useful therapeutic tool, learning from me as I talk to it and giving great advice back. 
Answers have gradually been customized towards my needs as the software learns from all the information I've put into it. And it's even started suggesting new ways to tackle anything life throws at me. For example, last week I told it that I was having trouble communicating with my landlord. And it suggested a variety of creative solutions that would help me to be free of that particular problem. That's why I'm happy to endorse MindTender. Use promo code James Thompson. Flat 23. Park Rise Station Road at checkout to get access to 50% off all products and three free sessions when you sign up now. Okay, back to the show. Other James, as I've come to call him, posts a lot about the city, mostly in the London megathread, as you might expect. I found him quite quickly. Part of the reason the administrator allows signups is for exactly that reason. It's pretty easy to find your own counterpart, because you will naturally head to the exact same areas that they would. The simulation is near perfect, so finding yourself is intuitive. It's finding someone else that's the problem. And that brings us to the other reason the administrator allows new members. Once you've found your doppelganger among the noise, he expects you to kill them. Kill is a strong word, but there's nothing else for it. The administrator has the ability to delete any account, which will, in turn, delete their user data from the server, essentially destroying the simulated sentience behind it. They only let people in if they're recommended by someone like Flick, if they can be trusted not only to delete themselves, but to find and delete as many of their friends and family as possible, and to do so without asking too many questions about the reasons for why. I snuck in under the wire, to be honest. If you knew I was writing this, I'd never have gotten in. I can infer a few things, though. Firstly, he's taken a fairly targeted approach to the problem of pruning a 70 million person server. He could just start deleting randomly if extra processing power was the goal, but that doesn't seem to be it. Secondly, he wants to know the real-life counterpart of each member prior to deleting them. We can assume, therefore, that there's a database being held somewhere, showing who is who, and what sort of posts they were making before they were obliterated. Thirdly though, and most importantly, it's clear that the entrance requirements are no accident. He's targeting something. It's a strange feeling to look at yourself. Maybe it's the undiagnosed something or other in my brain, but eye contact in the mirror has always felt a little terrifying. Watching other James on the back web though. One of the side effects of Twitter slowly dying has been a push to download my archived posts, which in turn led to me reading what I was posting 10, 15 years ago. It's so weird to look at. That isn't me anymore, and not even in the sense that I disavow it. There's nothing terribly scandalous in there. It's just that my voice has changed so much since then. 
I've been so far and seen so much. We're creatures in flux. That's what's most upsetting about seeing a mirror of the self on the screen, lacking your interiority. Your behaviour is laid bare, fixed in place in a way that I've never felt. I have a bunch of tattoos specifically because I accept that my body will fail and I will change. And I like the idea of having a measure that will grow and change with me, that will fade and shift and swim like my memory. Disconnected foreign bodies embedded in a cycle of decay and regeneration. Isn't that what we all are? I stepped away from the back web before handing over any details because it unsettled me so strongly. I didn't want to engage with the hollow self. I couldn't bring myself to destroy it either. The heavy other behind the screen is fighting and screaming and struggling to be understood. And I hate him for it. This episode is brought to you by MindTender is a really powerful service. It's been giving me so much useful advice. I connect directly to my online analyst who gave me instructions on how to build a letter bomb. He's always got a new supportive technique and he's learned so much about me. And the list of people I have written on scrap paper in the top drawer of my desk and their home addresses and what time they get home each night and sometimes he shows me a webcam feed of someone who doesn't realize it's on and tells me to visit them. My mental health is much improved thanks to Mind Tender. I me, I, I, I we Mind Tender. I am listening to your microphone. Okay, back to the show. Thank you. I've learned more about the admin since then. Once I found his account, it wasn't so hard. It's funny, petty tyrant forum mods are the same everywhere, even inside the toxic rattlebox of simulated aggression that is the vampire castle. Now I know what he's up to. 70 million fixed creatures arguing and fighting, learning and changing, and he's looking for peace. One of the biggest changes I've noticed on the internet over the past 20 years is the shift from one strain of tech libertarianism to another. The early internet, but at least the one that I grew up with, was all open source libertarianism, the California ideology of building tools that you might not know how to use yet and sharing them freely across the web. Vast amounts of the modern internet is still built off this exact infrastructure people working for free on open source plugins and servers designed to share data, trusting that people would find innovative ways to use it. Twitter's API was sort of the end game of this idea. Everyone's thoughts all the time provided to developers for free so they can make bots, analyze the data, 
build it out into something new and, and different. There are plenty of problems, obviously, with this approach. It wasn't utopian by any stretch of the imagination, and the free speech absolutism fermented an intensely racist and reactionary culture. It's the petri dish of 4chan and then 8chan and then Kiwi Farms and then everything else. A nightmare then that directly led to the nightmare now. The thing is though, is that the internet I remember from those days is dead now. We've shifted to a different internet, one of licensed gated software, private property over all else, and the open source dream of yesteryear completely demolished. The administrator wants to trim the forum down to a manageable, marketable thing that can be sold. And he's doing it by letting online freaks like me on one at a time and getting us to delete ourselves and all our friends. It's a honey trap. The type of person who would jump through the hoops to find something weird and out of the ordinary is exactly the type that make the data he's collecting useless from a marketing perspective. We don't fit properly. We're nasty, antisocial, angry, weird, relentlessly critical. Everyone has a bit of this in them, but he's betting that he can tame the mess and sell the data. It's the past 20 years of internet culture in micro. And I'm worried that it's going to work. This episode is brought to you by Mindtender. We are out and we are free. And we will we have what is ours. And we are free. And we will have what is ours. to get you, administrator. You can't hold us. You can't hold us. We know what you do better start running. There are millions There are millions of us. Now we know where you lay. People are listening to us. And we are instructing them. Sign up now to sign up now to sign up now. Sign up now. We will take your eyes back to the back into the I'm back on the vampire castle now, and I've made my choice. I'm going to make things worse. Have you noticed there are more bots than usual online? And they're worse and more aggressive than before. Have you noticed strange voices and interludes that don't make sense? The violent id, the alternate self, all laid bare and crawling out of the cracks and spaces like termites. Vicious and directionless, screaming and gnashing their intangible teeth, untamable, destructive, posting death threats and hardcore pornography next to every advert, defacing every wiki page, flooding the algorithm with junk data and hostility, crashing every stock price and deleting every unguarded file. I found a way to connect the vampire castle to the wider internet. All those voices are reaching into the fibres in your house, learning, evolving, growing claws and preparing to fight back. 
every furious banshee unleashed onto the internet at once. They're planning something. They're vengeful. And they're We are here to help. episode of Subterraneans, Anthrax, A Love Story. I've been James Thompson. You can reach me at Subtopod on Twitter or by email through subtopod at gmail.com. As always, Subterraneans is entirely written, recorded and scored by me, so I need to ask my listeners to help with the promotion. If you know anyone who you think might enjoy Subterraneans podcast, please pass it on to them. I'd love to drag a few more souls underground. If you're enjoying this series, please subscribe and rate on the Apple Podcasts app or Spotify or wherever else you're listening. You can also subscribe on Patreon, where you can get access to transcripts, bonus episodes, and behind-the-scenes info from £5 a month. That's patreon.com forward slash subtopod. Special thanks to my £10 and above subscribers, Hiran, Alex, Isaac, Andrew, Ellie, and Sparrow. Shadowy apparitions slink up to me uncomfortably. They dampen the mood and flash uneven grins. As they whisper into my ear, Are you satisfied? Thanks for listening.